Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back. Episode 126 of the Freight 360 Podcast. Well, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I lost a bet. <coughs> With Mr. Trey Griggs, I'm wearing a Pat Mahomes jersey right now. But don't worry, Trey. I've got a little something special for you coming up in this episode. And Josh Allen is not done playing. He will be playing professional sports this month in the month of February. And we'll get to that in a second, talking about the Pro-Am Pebble Beach Tournament. So it is, as we record this Wednesday, it is this February 2nd. 2022 and it's apparently it's called um tuesday even though it's a wednesday but it's like all the twos it's the only time in our lifetime we're gonna have two two twenty two yeah two twenty two man only time we're gonna have in our lifetime imagine if it was two two twenty two twenty two so like 200 years from now but who knows other interesting thing um this is the what is it the the chinese new year or the I think it's the Chinese New Year, but it's the year of the tiger. I think as of like Monday, they celebrate like the Lunar New Year, what whatnot. Okay. And didn't make the connection, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's why the Bengals finally made it to a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just talk sports first. So this episode is going to be about adding agents to your brokerage. We're going to talk sports. Let's let's get this done with. So crazy, crazy first couple rounds of playoffs, um, or first three rounds really. So. Divisional round, the only like favored team that advanced was the Chiefs, and then they were favored by like six and a half points to beat the Bengals at home, and they lost. Go figure in overtime. I was so hoping that whole game. I was like, man, I hope this game goes to overtime. Cincinnati wins the coin toss and goes down and scores a touchdown, like like the Chiefs did to the Bills the week before, but the Chiefs won. So Twitter was blown up. Everyone, like Josh Allen, all the other Bills players were all tweeting, like, man, this hurts. Like, they're going to do it again. And then they they had to punt. And um, Cincinnati, or whatever, I forget if it was a punt or a turnover or whatever, but Cincinnati got the ball and went down. And their, uh, their rookie kicker kicked the game-winning field goal because it was next score wins at that point. And um, the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl, man. So Bengals wow. Rams. It's good. You know what's awesome? Is I don't really care who wins, but I'm going to root for my AFC yeah. team, the Bengals. I mean, I think, although you know the Rams, dude, they have a nasty good team this year. But NFC, I don't follow the NFC as closely as the AFC, so I'm happy for all you Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, Southern Ohio folk that are on the Bengal train, and maybe it's the Chinese New Year, the year of the was it the the Tiger? He said, Yeah, all our industry colleagues at a tql and what's the other big brokerage up in the, that neck of the woods i think is TQL's a big one in since here there's like three offices and they're headquarters integrity in there. and tql but um yeah. a lot of brokers I, I bet there's some bengals fans out there so go bengals um i'll say that till the end but so here, here here's the deal if you're on youtube um we're in a a, a youth extra large pat mahomes kansas city chiefs <laughs> jersey so trey dude i'm not a big guy i'm like 510 180 and I, I mean trey we met you in person we golfed with you down in where's that lauderdale or whatever down in florida last year and i remember him being like smaller than us but like this is a youth jersey that i'm wearing right now <laughs> i hop on the video and ben you're like man you look you look huge right now i'm like your like, like, arms look enormous i feel like i'm ripped i should just start wearing youth clothes <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is I, I always buy jerseys uh, bigger than I would normally wear clothes because I, I wear them over a hoodie or a jacket. Yeah, so I ordered over. a Josh Allen and a Matt Milano uh, new Bills jersey for next season because you know I'm already looking forward to next year's Super Bowl and the Bills season. But I got my Josh Allen one. And I, I ordered an extra large. I usually wear like a medium or a large depending on what kind of fit it is. But I'll go a little bit bigger on a jersey. Dude, I was swimming in it. I just sent it back. Send them back. Um, and so I go from wearing an oversized Josh Allen jersey to a literally a youth Pat Mahomes jersey. So Trey, um, 
he's got what is, he's got to weigh like 130 pounds to fit in this thing. So big things come in small packages. Yeah. Trey definitely has a, a monster drive for oh yeah a, a youth that's, large. That's on true. The golf course. That's true. And if you remember back to that picture of him hitting out of the bunker, he did not make that putt. So yeah, yeah, it's good. Anyway, uh, sports. Um, it's the Pro Bowl this coming weekend. Um, I don't even normally watch it. Um, but I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl. We'll talk about we'll talk more about that next week. But the uh, I'm glad to see golf getting back in. So the the Pebble Beach is the pro the pro am, um, and you're you're the bigger golf enthusiast than me. Do they pair a professional? Or I'm sorry, it's the pro celeb. What is it? Pro celebrity? Celebrity pro? I don't I don't know. It's the, what this event is. No, it's the pro am. So, yeah, so it's Pro-Am, which means it's a professional and an amateur, amateur, whatever you say, however you call it. But you got guys like Josh Allen, Mookie Betts, professional athletes that are playing in this tournament, and I think it's really cool. And I was talking with somebody. I'm in a virtual golf league, and I started. I was playing this past Monday, and I was asking, I'm like, man, it's crazy to think that these, these professional athletes will play a second sport during their regular season – and we've, we were talking about, we're like, well, think about, like, football. Golf is probably the only sport that a coach will not lose their mind over if, they're, if their quarterback's playing it because there's a lot of benefit to, to golf, right, um, if you have the time to do it, right, so, like, a bye week or something like that. Um, mobility, flexibility, strength, low impact, very low risk of injury, right? Yep. I mean, you don't want your quarterback going out fighting MMA matches. Right or going? Dude, I watched <laughs> randomly. I watched the special on Dion um, on Disney Channel over the weekend on that that three days where Dion Sanders was in the playoffs against the Pirates for the Braves, and he flew down back to play the Falcons versus the Dolphins, and then flew back to play that baseball game that night, and just all the controversy around it. And I forgot that he played two sports. Well, there's a couple of people that went and played. Yeah, him and Bo Jackson, baseball. and then no one. And then no one after that ever again, mostly because Who was the of other how one that said? all went down. So Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders were the two multiple sports at kind of their time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there was – I'm sure there was maybe so you think another about one. Guys but, that have transitioned like Tebow, right? Tim Tebow went and tried to pursue a, a career in baseball, and he played for a number of years in the farm, in the farm system. And um, – I don't know. I, I like Tebow better on on TV than I do at his age and skill yeah. level now. Trying to play pro when he's in his thirties. So, um, but it's it's crazy to think about. But yeah, the the, the Pebble Beach Pro Am. Um, that's in. I couldn't even tell you where's Pebble Beach. Do you know? Yeah, it's in California. Cali. It's, um, there's three courses. It's like Spyglass, Pebble Beach, and Monterey are the. That's right. Three and I think this is the first year because last year they only used two of the courses. I think they're using all three this year, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Back to golf, man. It's kind of it's it's fun. It's exciting. So, um, well, good stuff. We're gonna we're gonna talk all about uh, agents today. We had a usually we'll we save our listener questions until the end. And we do a Q&A, but this question came in from a guy, and he basically asked, um, how do I hire my first agent? What kind of commission do I pay? What do I do if they have a non-compete? What should my contract look like? And there's a lot to unpack here, because some of you may not even know what an agent is. I've worked in the agent world the majority of my time in transportation, close to a decade now, and the amount of folks that have... um, switch from like that w2 like the tql model or like the coyote model or ch robinson model to becoming an agent they're like what is this like i've never it doesn't make sense it's confusing am i like am i not an employee so we're going to unpack all that in today's episode and then we do have a couple more questions at the end that we're going to get to so um anyway welcome back to freight 360 another week here um, every week, we're always giving you guys good content. Some new YouTube videos dropping. We're, we've been doing about one a week. Um, I think we might have missed a couple around New Year's there, but some good stuff coming up. Um, you know, contingent cargo insurance. Um, we've got getting started with no experience. All this stuff, right? These are 
questions that you guys are either asking us or people are typing into Google, and we're here, and we're giving you guys the content. So share us with your friends. Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Right? Give us that rating. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a five stars on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. So, um, yeah, good stuff, man. Let's uh, let's give a shout out to our good friends over at DAT, DAT Freight and Analytics, to be specific. What do we got? Taking taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Yes. So actually, ironically, when we had Trey on the one time, he reminded us that he used to work at DAT. And uh, even though I'm wearing a Mahomes jersey, I forgot I wanted to play this earlier. But this is just a little snippet of my my hometown Buffalo Bills, our shout song. It's, it's literally from the Isley Brothers from back in like the 70s. The, hey, hey, hey. The Bills... Uh, organization hired somebody like 15 years ago or 20 years ago to like make our own custom version. Here's a little clip. The bills make me wanna shout. kick your heels up and shout. I'll take you towards the end where it gets good. So... Get the spirit, a lot of spirit, yeah. We've got the spirit, just watch it happen now. So that, that's, yeah, that's my uh, Bill Shout song. You've Obviously, we all know that the original song from every wedding we've ever gone to, right? So. Yep. All right, that's my last take on the Bills. Um, so let's let's talk um, let's talk agents. So let me ask you something. I, I'd like to kick this off with you telling me, I'd like to really know what are the real pros, but also the cons of even considering or just the agency model in general? Like... Like, what are the advantages? Why would any company want to do this? And why would any person want to be an agent? So I'll, I'll give you, I'll, I'll answer this first through the lens of the broker that's going to decide to be an agent. And then I'll talk to you on the perspective of the brokerage company looking to add agents, okay? So pros and cons. Big difference between being a, a, a freight agent versus an employee for a brokerage is that you are autonomous and you're on your own, you're independent, right? You don't work for the company, you're not employed by the company, you are an independent contractor. The IRS labels you or defines you in that 1099 category. So similar to like someone who's a contractor that works on houses or an independent um, sales rep for a company, that's exactly what you are. So as a, as a freight agent, you, are not bound by things like non-competes, non-solicitation clauses, because you're not an employee. There's no employment agreement. There's an independent contractor agreement. Um, other pros, much higher commission, because you are usually coming to the table already experienced, already trained, knowledgeable in freight brokering. You're bringing a customer book, a book of business with you that you've already got established and you're going to set your own hours, do as much or as little as you want, and your paycheck will be the reflection of how much work and productivity that you've had, okay? So those are the pros in a nutshell. The cons, just like I said, you're independent. That can be a con. If you need to have a supervisor or a boss that tells you you need to make 60 calls a day, or you need to hit 4K a week in GP, or you need to be at your desk at 7.30 or 8 o'clock every single morning. If that's how you operate, that's a con to being an agent because you don't have that structure. You don't have someone telling you this is how you have to do it, okay? So if you're brand new to freight, the agent model is often not a good choice for you. There's a couple of situations where maybe you go work for an agent and they mentor you and they train you and they coach you and they put you through some kind of, uh, you know, new broker thing like that so those are those are kind of the some of the the cons um no base salary right you're not an employee so they cannot pay you a base salary maybe they can give you a draw or something like that to try and work it out um that would all depend on your agreement um 
if you're with a, you know, there's some good companies and bad companies out there, but if you get with a, a risky or not so good company, they can cut you whenever they want, right? Boom, you're not an employee, they just say, we're done with you. You know, you're not broken with us anymore. And they're doing all your billing for you. So now you're you're kind of, you know, up creek without a paddle or whatever that phrase is. You you can't invoice your customers or, you know, do anything. It's all housed in their system. Um, other cons, let's see here. That's really it. You know, if you're not, oh, they don't withhold taxes. You have to file your quarterly estimates. So if you're not good with like accounting and finance stuff on a personal level, you're gonna have to think, well, I have to do this on a business level. Now. I'm a contractor, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna get commission checks every week or twice a month or however your company does it. They're not withholding taxes and paying your state or the the Fed on your behalf. You have to pay it yourself in quarterly estimates. And oh, by the way, you have to pay the full amount where it's normally split in half, right? No, it's 15.3% employment tax, split half and half. Usually, 7.65 is paid by your employer and 7.65 is paid by you as a payroll tax. And that's, that's like your FICA, Social Security, um, Medicare, whatever it is, right? That's not done, it's not withheld, it's not paid by them. So those are some, some cons, does that make sense? Oh, perfect, uh, absolutely. And I think I, with some other things to mention, right? Who's responsible for your equipment, right? Like your phone lines, oh, yeah. buying computers, right? Um, computer software monthly service fees, right? Apart yeah, from, a, I believe, usually your TMS is usually covered, or do you guys like bill your agents a portion for it? Yeah, there's a there's a gray area. So, like for example, most agents um, have to provide their own computer, their own phone, um, their own internet service, their own marketing or promotional materials. Um, there's some gray area. So, like. Even though you're not an employee, the brokerage company you're an agent for, they can give you like all their digital marketing products and their logo and stuff like that. They can send you some swag for your customers. Um, they can, they're gonna give you access to their TMS platform. Um, some companies do and some don't charge for technology such as load board access, um, GPS tracking usage, you name it, right? Some do and some don't. It just really all depends. Every company's different. Some companies don't have the margin to be able to pay for certain things because all they care about is, I'm gonna give you a super high sign-on bonus, a big commission split, and you take care of the rest. Where others will say, we'll give you a, a, like everything, but pay you a little bit less. And then there's the good healthy ones that are typically in the middle that pay you a very strong reasonable commission, and then everything else is taken care of by them. So, um, so let's... Let's suck the. Oh, I want really to. I want to hear the company side too. Yeah, the company you, side, right? So just really briefly, yep. um, pros and cons. Pros, you're adding um, sales folks to your organization, right? So let's let's go. I'm going to give you the the seventy percent commission model as an example. Now, not every not every company pays their agents seventy percent commission. Um, some pay fifty, some pay sixty. Some you know some will pay you more depending on how much volume you're doing, so it's gonna be contingent on your productivity that month or that quarter or whatever. Um, so you add salespeople on, and for every dollar that they make in profit, at 70%, you're keeping the other 30%. You're making um, 30 cents for every dollar that they produce, right? And they're producing their own leads, they're doing all their own business, you're just giving them a place to operate legally under your authority. Um, the con. You have to cash flow all that business for them. So if you are, if you use a factoring company, it's more money in factoring fees that you're paying. And now you got to say, "Ooh, is their margin high enough? Is this good enough business that it's worth it with my, our factoring rates and deals?" If you're cash flowing, you got to have. Can you pause that? I, and I'm curious, like, like in the weeds with that, like, are there agencies that? Um, that are able, because you don't really have the control to set minimums, but I think to some degree they should be able to, right? As in like, hey, yep. so like, what is that? I mean, do you have like a break even with where you guys are? Like, hey, so, 75 bucks a load is? Yeah, so like with, so I'm with Pierce Worldwide, and what I do is I look at an agent's business before they come on, and I try to determine right then and there, are you a, is your business a good fit? We don't have a minimum requirement for what they have to do, dollar amount wise or margin wise, but I make it very clear that 
I, I explain how it works, right? There's only so much meat on the bone. And if we're giving you commission and we have to pay for cash flowing, you know, well, it's, it's not a direct cost. We don't factor, but we have to pay for our back office team that's doing your billing, the amount of time that they spend invoicing your customers and fixing your problems. Um, we have to pay for any special tools that they need. And if their margin is only 5%, right? There's not enough meat on the bone. It's not worth anyone's time. And I make that very clear. You can have up, you can have high and low months. Um, a fairly standard benchmark in this industry is like 10%. If you're not at 10%, you know, you're not, you're not really developed enough as a broker that anyone's going to want your business. Um, caveat, right? Some people waited out on non-compete for a year or two years, and they're getting back in the business, rebuilding. They're going to be a little slim on margins, and that's fine. But long term, you've got to you've got to get to a certain level. Now, there's other companies. I used to work for one. They wouldn't they wouldn't even bring you on if you didn't have a certain margin. And if you didn't hit a certain margin, so like let's say 15%, you're never going to get you're never going to make more than uh, 50% commission. If you never made more than 20% margin, you're never going to get paid 70% commission. Like they, there's certain companies that have that. And also some companies will say um, there's a minimum profit amount per load that you have to hit for us to break even. We don't have that. Previous company was $50 on a truckload. So if you didn't make $50 profit on a truckload, or it's not even the profit, it's the amount that the company would retain. So let's say, for example, you make a $200 profit on a load, right? And 70% goes to you, so that's 140 bucks, and then 60 comes back to the company. You're good. Now let's say you only make $100 on a load, which a lot of new brokers, that's their model, right? Thin margin, get in the door, show consistency. You make $100, 70% goes to you, at 70 bucks, 30 goes back to the company. And can't do it. We're gonna keep at least fifty dollars on every single truckload, which means now I get fifty and you get fifty. So there's certain companies that they have that in their contracts, and it's because of their business model and their overhead expenses and everything else that goes into it. So every company is different. Um, so that's a downside of being the brokerage company to bring on agents is you have to take a, an honest look in the mirror at your financial stability and what you can afford. And it's it's a it's a tweaking game, right? This is a, a malleable topic and a, a thing where it's ever changing, ever developing. So, if you bring on a bad agent, doesn't fit your needs, don't keep them there. You're gonna have to tell them, and you know, with a reasonable amount of respect and, and heads up time, like we're not a good fit long term. I'm sorry, you know, we'll give you 30 or 60 days to close out what you got, but you know, we're gonna need you to look for a new home because it's just not good business for us. And that's an honest way to just to deal with it. So let me ask you this, like, you know, for the, the guys that are out there and girls that are out there that own their own, you know, brokerages that are considering bringing on some agents, right? I think the primary reason is, hey, it's going to give us the ability to increase our revenues, increase our sales without increasing our fixed expenses, right? Like not bringing on the extra salary, not having the and the risk, right? The biggest risk and the the biggest expense for most brokerages, everyone that I've ever worked with, is the number that you have to pay to gamble on salespeople, right? Like we always yep. talk, like there's a 95 out of 100 failure rate, you know, in most of the large brokerages. It's related to this, so you know, they're literally throwing, you know, the better part of a year's salary at 95 out of 100 people knowing that is not gonna pay off so that those four or five people, right, do. It's a big risk, big gamble. Agency model allows you to kind of vet them, know whether or not they've got a book, bring yeah. on their revenue without that risk. As an owner, like what are the things they need to consider before making the jump into the agency or like where should they be? Is there like a certain yeah. amount of revenue or back office support they should have before they consider this or make the jump? Yeah, so I wanna, I wanna go back a second. You talked about risk, right? Think about this. You don't know anything about having agents and you wanna start an agent program with your company. What happens if you hire the wrong person and they defile your business name? They get a bunch of negative reviews on DAT from carriers um, with your company's name attached to it. Um, they screw something up as a representative of your company and you're left paying out a $60,000 claim out of pocket yourself. Um, Things like that, right? You don't know what they're doing or what they're saying on the phone because you don't have, you don't have the control, control. Over them or you're not, you're not in front of them to be able to hear and see that. So, to your question, where should they be? Um, I and this is generalized because there's different situations. 
I typically think someone should be a successful broker for at least a couple of years before they look to go independent as an, as an agent. And that's average, okay? That's for have, the person considering it, right? This is the this is the person with the book of business, not necessarily the company, right? You should be there, you're saying, oh, yes. at least so the, a couple the, the, years. The, yeah, so the person, the agent you're bringing on should have a couple of years in the business, right? Um, you also, as a brokerage owner, should have a couple of solid years running your own brokerage, knowing how your back office operates, knowing your cash flow. The same way you have to figure out how quickly you can grow your book and not have it hit you in the in the um, cash flow side too hard, that's gonna impact you as a company owner when you add an agent, depending on the size of their book of business. So, you know, if you're, let's say you're, um, you're a brokerage owner and you do $2 million a year in business. Well, you shouldn't go out there and bring on a $10 million agent that's gonna five or six X your business the next day. You can't handle but that's, it. You don't have the cash that, flow. You don't have the manpower to invoice and collect. You don't have the manpower to add carriers on and receive invoices and do all the paperwork side. You're just not ready for it. Slow and steady so, wins the race. Every single time that I read the tortoise and the hare, the tortoise wins every time, it never changes. So that brings up a really good point, right? So, I mean, this is an objective thing that everybody can kind of work through if you are considering this, right? Figure out how many loads you're running on a weekly or monthly basis, right? And then ask yourself a question, if I'm hearing you right, like, what is their capacity, right? I mean, hey, if you're, you know, running 75 loads a week, right? Could your team handle 150, right? Yep. Or could you handle only 25 more? Because this is a pretty quantifiable number when you're evaluating any agent, like, or potential agent, you should be able to look at their book, see what they're doing on average, and realize whether or not you could handle that additional workload, right? Yeah. So, um, you know how we talk about with prospecting a lot that at the beginning you want like a checklist and you go through it and then eventually you find your voice and you get comfortable and become second nature. The same thing happens when you're adding agents to your company. The first few agents that you add on to that first period of time, you need to be very, very detailed and go through their book and their numbers very, very, very detailed because you've never done it before. It's foreign to you. Over time, you'll know what to look out for. You'll know the, the red flags and the good signs. So like for me, for example, I don't, I don't have to um, go that detailed with an agent on their book of business on paper like I used to. I used to have to, I would ask like, hey, show me your commission reports from the last um, couple of months or show me your, your year to date. Let me see your volume. Let me see your, your uh, profit per load, your total profit, your margin percentage, customer count, things like that. And then what I have figured out means more in the agent world than that is, are they a good fit for the culture of your company? Are they going to be flexible and are you going to be flexible working together as they grow? Because most folks that become independent, it just opens the floodgates for them. And now they're like, wow, I can do whatever I want. And typically if they're coming from a big box brokerage to a smaller mid-sized agent-based company, they can go touch all these customers that they couldn't touch before. So they're gonna be able to blow up. So those really like what I look at is how long, you know, how long have you been in brokerage? And you can just tell in a conversation when they talk about their customers, you'll know if they know what they're talking about, right? I've talked to people that are like, yeah, I've got, I got customers. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, you told me you were a driver though. They're like, yeah, you know, my customers are TQL and CH Robinson. I'm like, those are brokers. <laughs> like, you're not a broker. You're, you're a carrier yeah. or you're a dispatcher. Your customer needs to be an actual shipping company. That's how this works. So, and those, it's, it's in, you know, you kind of get this intuition, you figure out very quickly if they're a good fit for your company or if they're not. So the same thing goes if you're, if you're looking to become an agent for a company, you should be able to tell very, very quickly if, you know, what's, what's the vibe of this conversation? You know, what's the tone that's being set here? Is it like, are they trying to treat me like I'm an employee or are they treat me like I'm a family member, like I'm part of their, their organization and I'm welcome and I'm a team member now, not just someone that has to hit X amount of calls per day. There, I mean, it's, there's preference. Everyone wants a different kind of agent and every agent wants a different kind of company to work with, so. 
Good stuff. It's interesting, and I think it's one of those things that really isn't focused on enough in our industry, really, is culture, right? Like, who you want to be spending your days with, who you want to surround yourself with, what are the types of people you want to be working with, what are the type of company that you're in, right? A lot of people have built this company just by, you know, doing the next thing without ever taking a step away and objectively thinking about this, right? Yep. I was listening to... um, um, reviewing a book tools of titans and they talk a lot about this like you need to take time away from the business to work on it not just in it right and until you can take a step away and objectively look at some of these things and ask yourself some of the questions that we're you know posing and kind of go back and forth right this is going to help you work a little closer towards either considering it more or maybe considering it less and deciding when is a good time to actually make the jump into the agency yeah, here's another thing to think about too. If you're bringing on agents, you're responsible to take care of them, right? They don't they don't yeah. just come in and know everything about your company. It's a lot of time you got to spend. I don't want to call it babysitting, but it's it's developing these agents, right? Um, it's onboarding, it's acclimating them to your your procedures and your like the the standard way that you guys operate. Um, when you change something that your company does, you got to make sure your agents who are all remote are all aware and trained on how that works. If, a, if an agent has a special um, billing situation with one of their customers, you have to adapt and be able to hop in that third-party billing system and spend the time to invoice their customers differently than the rest of your customers. So it, there's a lot of time that it takes, and that, that's why when I vet people out myself, it's gotta be someone that I like and I wanna spend my time working with every single day. Otherwise, it's just frustrating. Like we talked about in plenty of our content, like. There's the people that you talk to that they're gonna chew you off for an hour and you don't actually accomplish anything in the conversation, right? And it's like, ugh. And there's agents like that. They, they don't produce and they just wanna chew your ear off all day long and remind you that you're not their boss and the contract states this. And it's like, well, I don't, you, you, might, you might be a good broker in your mind or a good agent in your mind, but I would really like you to go work somewhere else because I, I don't, it's not a good fit for me or my organization. And you'll find that. And then you'll get the ones that are really awesome and you feel like you're not even working a day in your life when you get to spend time working with them. So it's a, you know, you're right. We, we don't talk about culture enough in this industry and it's a big part of it. We've, we've seen all the, the big lawsuits and stuff like that from companies that had toxic work environments. And we all, get, we all have bad days at work. But if your work has a good culture and a good uh, overall climate, you're not going to bitch about it the way that you would about a company that's just toxic, right? So. Yep. Yeah. So let me ask you this: I, yep. Are there any red flags that agents or um, you know W2 brokers that are considering jumping into the agency model should be looking for? Like, are there any like yeah know, consistent um, things that like if you see this or hear this this is probably worth moving yeah. on to the next option um as an agent you should not be held to a non-compete a non-solicitation agreement your customers need to belong to you and you should have protection that no one else can you know so the company can't go and back solicit your customers um, say they were to cut you or something like that. There should be a, a time length on that. Because at the end of the day, it should be a partnership. What's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. As long as we work together, it's great. But if we part ways for whatever reason, don't poach mine and I won't poach yours. And it's gotta be written out very clearly in your, in your agent operating agreement. Um, other red flags, if you're an agent, if you ask the hard to ask questions, they don't give you an answer or get back to you with an answer, they're not, their level of competence as a brokerage company is not at a level where it should be, where you should feel comfortable to, to give your business or a portion of your business to them. Um, otherwise- well, That's a good point. Do they, you know, I mean, how long have they been in business? Six months? No, thank you. 40 years? Obviously they've got some, uh, some history. Well, you pointed out another really important risk, right? Which is, from the person who's built this book of business, right? Like you're trusting this organization to handle your customers, right? Handle their invoices, make sure they do it accurately, right? Like people lose customers for having these things done incorrectly. Like there is a risk, right? So, and I know in all of the message boards that we see and you know, in our Facebook group, you see this question a lot like, oh, it seems like everybody just wants to chase the highest commission percentage when they look for a house for their brokerage or their book of business. And the reality is, is like, 
some of these numbers, and I know you and I had this conversation, are too good to be true. If they're offering you like 90 or 80% or 85% commission splits, like there's not really enough meat on the bone for them to operate a legitimate company that can actually support your operation. Yeah, are they do they have um, fairly paid, competent back office competent. employees that are working with your yes. customers? Or are they hiring some, you know, some VAs in some another kid country that like high school that is getting paid minimum wage to send invoices, right? Yep. Because you gotta where you give in a higher commission rate, you're giving something you're giving something up, right? So if you if Always. you're gonna offer like I've seen like, hey, we're gonna pay you ninety percent for the whole year for your first year or eighty percent forever. And it's like there's not enough. There's not enough meat on the bone to have a, a, a well oiled machine that'll run pay competent people, the owner still makes good, healthy profits, and we have extra money for upgrading things as needed, like hiring more bodies, upgrading software, stuff like that, yeah. So, yeah, it's not all about commission. It's, uh, in my eyes, it, um, you know, your compensation package is a big part of it, so how, what percentage are they paying you? Um, what are you required to pay for? How often are they paying you? Are they paying you upon invoice, or do you have to wait for them to receive the payment from your customer to get paid? Those are big things. Um, That's a big one. Technology, right? What load boards do you have access to? What TMS platform are you using? What integrations do you have to streamline your process? Can you set up a carrier very quickly? Can you onboard a customer quickly? Um, can I get a credit bump quickly if if my uh, customer is at their line and they got a big project that I'm working on? And then culture. Culture to me is like, it's not. I, I, I'm not going to rank it like number one, two, or three. It's just a. It's an overarching thing. Like, what is their, what is their view in their culture and perspective when it comes to being flexible on upgrading a system, or maybe getting something special for you that you need for your customers, or, Ooh. or or increasing credit when maybe they, that customer doesn't look perfect on paper. Right. That's culture to me. There was one that we, we, you know, kind of breezed over, but I think it's important to emphasize, right, is that most brokers that are working in the W-2 model don't get paid until their customer pays their bills. And in the agency model, right, you're usually going to get a choice where some will offer you upon delivery or delivered load at the end of that week you get cut a check and yep. that means they're then responsible for going and collecting from your customer like you've got money in hand yep. and that is a big big benefit right not having to wait until the receivables come in just taking that risk off the table and i think that's really important to consider when you if anybody out there is deciding this even for a company owner right like if you're going to bring on agents and you're typically used to paying your brokers when they you know their customers pay this is a completely different cash flow than what you're yeah, typically you're doing fronting money yep. it's like you're fronting money to carriers with a quick pay you're you're quick paying commissions essentially so I yep. want to go through some of the questions that the actual questions that we were asked. How do I hire my first agent? We already just kind of talked through that. You've got to be in a position where you're able to support additional business. You're competent enough to answer their questions. You have enough time to manage them. Okay. Um, the next question was, what's the commission percentage? It depends on what you're able to provide, and you know if you can only pay them fifty percent, but you're going to give them basically everything that they want and you're taking a gamble on them, that's fine. If you get someone that'll that'll do that, that's fine. If you're gonna pay, you know, if you're gonna pay a higher percentage, like sixty or seventy percent, um, you can kind of take back a little bit, right? I expect this person to bring the, to the table a profitable book of business with customers that pay on time, that don't have a bunch of billing issues. Um, an agent that is you know, responsive to me when I have questions about their one of their customers or a claim or something like that. It's very subjective, and so there's not a right or wrong answer there. 50 to 70 is an average range. Um, what if they have a non-compete, your new agent? Um, well, you could be held liable if you are knowingly violating or taking part in the violation of their non-compete agreement. We know non-competes are not so enforceable when it comes to freight brokering, non-solicits can be, but either way, even if non-compete, it's not, not enforceable, you're gonna have to spend time to hire an attorney to defend you, and that agent's gonna have to hire an attorney to defend them against whoever's you know suing. So 
big box brokerage who's got a full legal staff and their only job is to go after all these ex-employees and file lawsuits and send cease and desist letters, right? It's headaches, not worth it. So, um, so what I would do is if they have one, have your transportation attorney or your attorney that represents your company, have them review it, weigh your risks, and I would try to settle it with the previous employer if you can. And if not, it may not be in your best interest to bring them on. So like a company like a TQL, man, they're notorious for suing, suing, suing. And eventually, even if they could win, you could win in court, that new agent, they just give up. They're like, I don't have the money to hire an attorney for 12 months, you know, and now I'm worried they're gonna sue me for hundred grand. It's like, it, it doesn't usually work out. And the final question was, you know, what kind of contracts or things should I have in place? So your agent contract should, um, at a minimum, have a good independent contractor portion and a good commission portion, right? So outline the, and again, we're not attorneys at Freight 360. Get with a good attorney that can draft you up an independent contractor um, contract. There's a, there's, I don't even know if we we might have one on our, no, I don't think we have one on our website, but every company's different, um, but it should define the relationship between you as a broker and them as the agent for your brokerage company. What you provide, what they provide, expectations, um, minimum productivity requirements if you have any, what you're gonna uh, what you're gonna provide for them and what they have to provide themselves. And then that commission part, explain. How much are they getting paid? When are they getting paid? You know, and what happens when X, Y, and Z situations occur? And then, you know, you can run a background check, make sure they're not like a, you know, wire fraud person that's just out there to scam you because it's hard to vet these people out when you're virtual. Um, get a W-9, right? Because you have to send them a 1099. So you can call those commissions a expense of yours, right? Um, yeah, stuff like that. Check it, vet their vet their book of business. Find out are they, you know are they gonna are they trying to bring business to your company that you already have? Are they directly competing with you? You know these are things you got to think about. So put that all it's all, shall be in your vetting and contract process. So I don't want to get too deep into it. I know you went kind of long winded on agent stuff, but it's a good it's a good question. And my my biggest advice is this: if you think bringing on an agent or multiple agents is a get rich quick scheme, you're wrong. Don't do it. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's a get broke quick situation where you're paying for all this stuff for people and if they don't produce, you're still paying for it. Email I've seen more companies. I've seen EMS licenses, you know, possible claims payouts. I've seen more companies go under for trying to grow too fast. Like what's the, there's a saying, it's more companies die of indigestion than starvation. When you get greedy and you think it's nothing but gravy, right? You usually yep. don't realize that you're choking on all of these things that you just didn't add up and spend the time to actually consider. Yep. Speaking of which, why don't you give a uh, shout out to our friends over at Lean? Yeah, so if you are trying to grow and you want to grow the smart way and not just bring a bunch of agents on without any idea how to manage them, Look at growing your back office, right? So check out Lean Solutions Group at leangroup.com. Their near shore staffing model has been fantastic. We use them ourselves for a lot of our um, our administrative functions at Freight 360. They're great for billing folks, dispatchers, account managers, things like that. Any any possible job in a freight brokerage, they offer staffing solutions for that specific role. So check them out at leangroup.com. You'll save a ton of money. You can get basically um, two reps for the cost of one normal hire here in the states um, and i'll give you i a real life example we talked about this a lot but my um my assistant with lane has been with me since like the end of november and i would say right now he's probably managing about 85 to 90 percent of the tasks that i had to do prior to bringing him on right so when you know owners and people reach out to us they're like oh, i just don't have time to get away from my desk i can't take a vacation i'm like built this prison I live in right of my own making right all these customers and all this stuff but they can't get away from it this is the stuff that you've got to consider to be able to get your head above water right I'm yeah. very conscious when I was building my book you know the second time was I wanted to get it to a certain level 
hire, be able to delegate as much of it as I can so that I can free up the space and time to go out and get more, right? It's truly growing like this. And the greatest part about Lean is the fact that like, you can literally push this button and within you know four to six weeks, you've got somebody fully functioning and helping take these things off your plate so that you can find time to either yep. consider an agency or get back to prospecting to grow that book of business like you've been wanting to for the past few years. I've got one of my agents right now that I, I'm calling back um, later today and here's her problem. It's her and her husband. And she's like, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm at 10 loads a day myself and we're moving a lot of freight and we need help and I don't know how to hire. And you know, th that's a, it's, a great, it's a great opportunity to hand off some of those administrative tasks or operational tasks that are holding you from getting more freight. So check them out. All right, two questions here. As a dispatcher, and this is a dispatcher that represents carriers, how do I build my carrier base? It's a good question. Um, same way that brokers have to go build a book of business by cold calling and cold outreach, social media connecting, you're doing the same thing as a dispatcher. I'll tell you, our Facebook group, so check out the episode show notes. I think there's a link in there. If not, um, just go to Freight Brokers and Carriers Network on Facebook. We got like 25,000 community members, brokers, dispatchers, carriers, all networking. It's a great way to get, you know, just grab a bunch of email addresses from carriers and get with them. Um, cool, you know, here's a, here's a tip too. If you're gonna reach out on you know our Facebook group, Freight Brokers and Carriers Network, make sure you're asking for specific things, we see people get a lot better answers when they ask better questions, right? So the posts that are in that group that say like, hey, I'm running consistent dedicated lanes from Atlanta to you know, St. Louis. If you've got an interest, if you're a carrier, drop an email, leave your number, right? You can find these people, right? Because you are gonna have to build it step by step, person by person, relationship by relationship, right? It yep. takes time expect it to take time and expect to build this into your daily and weekly schedule so that you're doing this consistently. You're not just gonna go and do this one day and have it all done, right? It's something that just like prospecting, consistency over time is what's gonna lead to a solid, reliable, dependable carrier base. Absolutely. Um, another carrier sourcing question, this is from a broker though, how do I find box trucks and sprinter vans? Um, most of your load boards will still allow you to um, post and search for things like that. Like DAT, you can find box trucks or straight trucks, things like that. There are some niche load boards, so like Selectus, I use it personally. You, you have to have a carrier uh, MC as well to be able to get in their alliance of their carriers and their brokers that share their uh, capacity and their available freight. So they used to let people in before that were just brokers, but you have to have a broker and a carrier authority now to put brokered loads posted in there. Um, but yeah, just load boards. And then this the good old classic uh, cold outreach to carriers. You gotta do your searching, whether it's on Google, looking for some small hotshot or you know expedite type equipment. The same thing, same thing goes you know, in, in this room, I'm trying to get, get that business drummed up and those connections drummed up. Again, networking also, on social media. Our, we, lots we in social media. Asking for stuff like that. So. You have lots of smaller carriers that have box trucks that are saving up the money to buy more assets and to buy, you know, larger tractors that are in there constantly. So if you've got loads and a shipper that is looking for these box trucks or sprinter vans often, actually this is the one where I think you probably even maybe more effective to be in a Facebook group trying to acquire some of these names. Cause they're just not out there. They're not that large and uh, they don't need to be. Yep, you're absolutely correct. Everyone scales differently. Not every carrier has yep. uh, you know, an unlimited deep pocket and checkbook where they can just get every single load board available, they're going to start on social media a lot of times. So good stuff. Um, well, that, that wraps up the Q&A section here. Um, I'm going to talk Super Bowl next week because I uh, love me some good NFL discussion here. Um, we are approaching baseball season. Spring training starts in about a month. Pitchers and catchers will report at the end of February for most teams. Woo, going right from my Bills to my Red Sox. Sorry, Yankees fans, even though I live in New York. Um, your Pirates, maybe they'll have a good year. Who knows? So, 
You got uh, any big? What's the you know? Like I said, you're the bigger golf guy than me. When's like the first big tournament of the year? Honestly, I haven't even gotten up the to Masters? speed with it yet. Uh, usually, but kind of with COVID, it kind of threw things all and and they changed the um the lineup of the majors like over the past 2 years and i genuinely like don't know off the top of my head well we'll talk about it next week i guess then you got yeah, any closing will. final thoughts here yeah i wanted to leave and i'm going to kind of bring up one of these at the end of every episode which is like one topic that kind of seems a little bit outside of freight brokerage but is isn't right and the one that i had picked up in the past week that i've tried to apply is how much of the minutia are you involved with on a daily basis? Whether you're a broker and you're managing a team, just your own customers, or even you own a brokerage, right? Most people, their issues are that they can't get to the bigger things. The stuff that we talked about in this episode, right? Considering maybe entering into the agency model, considering growing these, considering doing these things, right? The reality is, is you'll never get to the bigger things if you're not delegating and allowing the smaller things to be taken care of by other people on your team. And this is really difficult for perfectionists. And just a good example of this is if you own a brokerage and you've got a couple brokers underneath you and you're approving every charge, five, 10, 15, 25, $30 charges, look for policies and procedures that you can put in place so that everything isn't going through you. Basically making sure you're not your own bottleneck and you're the own cause of your own misery, right? So just yep. a good question to kind of consider and think about is, you know, what is it that you're doing, right? Are there things that you don't necessarily have to be doing or shouldn't be doing that you should be trusting maybe the person you've brought on, whether it's your assistant, maybe it's someone from Lean, maybe it's just some of the other brokers or other people you work with. I dig it. And how about your Henry, Henry Ford quote for us? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. <laughs> I couldn't let you get away without dropping that one. <laughs> and uh, even though the season is, is over for Buffalo this year, until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site, and we'll see you next week. Time to take my jersey off.